Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. For our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about the Affordable Clean Energy, or ACE, rule dying in court. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your environmental headlines. The Indiana Environmental Reporter says a bill that would repeal state protections for Indiana's diminishing wetlands passed the Senate's Environmental Affairs Committee and is headed for consideration by the full Indiana Senate, despite opposition from the agencies in charge of protecting the state's environment and natural resources. Senate Bill 389, opposed by the Indiana Department of Environmental Management and Department of Natural Resources, seeks to repeal nearly two decades old state protections for Indiana wetlands that the bill's proponents said are barriers to solving the state's housing crisis. Indiana only has about 15% of the total wetlands that it had before the state's founding, meaning it has lost 4.7 million acres of wetlands to development since 1780. Wetlands trap and slowly release water, filtering it through sediment and vegetation before it reaches surface and groundwater systems. Wetlands can reduce or prevent flooding and are home to many species of wildlife. A Trump administration rule finalized in April 2020 redefined which waters fall under federal protection, leaving some bodies of water, like ephemeral streams and other isolated wetlands, under state jurisdiction. Farmers and developers testified that wetland protections were putting the state's builders and prospective homeowners at a disadvantage. The bill was authored by three senators with ties to the land development and housing industry. Senator Chris Garten, owner of Signature Countertops Incorporated in Jeffersonville, Senator Mark Mesmer, chair of the Senate Environmental Affairs Committee and co-owner of Mesmer Mechanical Incorporated, a plumbing, heating, and cooling company, and Senator Linda Rogers, owner of Nugent Builders in Granger. The bill is opposed by many environmental and conservation groups in Indiana, like the Hoosier Environmental Council, the Central Indiana Land Trust, and the Nature Conservancy in Indiana, who said the bill would lead to the destruction of more wetlands and wildlife and an increased flood risk for Hoosier communities. The bill is also opposed by the Indiana Department of Environmental Management and the Indiana Department of Natural Resources, who said the bill would undermine years of work in flood prevention and water quality efforts, as well as increase flood risks and costs to the state and local governments and individual Hoosiers. Southwestern Indiana Citizens for Quality of Life and Valley Watch have lost their challenge against the air permit for Riverview Energy's proposed coal-to-diesel plant in Dale and now plan to appeal again. 
In July 2019, the groups filed an appeal with the Indiana Department of Environmental Management saying the permit didn't provide assurance of protection from the plant's potentially high levels of air pollution. In fact, Riverview didn't submit the final design for pollution control or the facility itself before the permit was issued in June 2019. In December 2020, the Office of Environmental Adjudication ruled in favor of IDEM and Riverview, saying there was enough information to issue the permit and a detailed design plan wasn't necessary to determine particulate matter for the coal handling and milling process because these are well-known processes. Also, the adjudication office said the groups didn't present concrete proof, only theories of what air emissions could be. The decision means that citizens are held to an impossible standard, says Mary Hess, president of Southwestern Indiana Citizens for Quality of Life. Quote, the responsibility of proving engineering and technical issues should not fall on the shoulders of community organizations. We will pursue every avenue available to give a voice to those who support us as we continue to shed light on the fact that Riverview Energy, having had their permit for over 19 months, has yet to break ground, end quote. The proposed coal-to-diesel plant in Dale would look similar to a current coal-to-liquid plant in northwest China. The company claims the plant will have a significantly lower carbon footprint than other technologies and nothing will go to waste. However, John Blair, president of Valley Watch, doesn't believe the plant will be good for the area. A state House committee voted to extend a task force charged with developing energy policy for Indiana for another two years. But some lawmakers are concerned the new makeup of the task force wouldn't best represent Hoosiers. Under the bill, the task force would have fewer energy experts appointed by the governor, and none of them would have to represent utility customers. Democratic lawmakers, who tend to favor renewable energy sources, would also likely make up less of the task force. Republicans would get to appoint twice as many lawmakers. Representative Matt Pierce, Democrat of Bloomington, said it's traditional to have a more equal distribution of parties in summer study committees. Quote, I just don't think it makes any sense to have it be this lopsided, end quote, he said. The author of the bill, Representative Ed Soliday, Republican of Valparaiso, said the task force would reflect the party affiliations of the legislature as a whole. The 21st Century Energy Policy Development Task Force would address topics it didn't look into last year, like energy efficiency, rooftop solar, energy investment districts known as green zones, and how to assist communities that rely on coal. Representative Cherish Pryor, Democrat of Indianapolis, said that the task force should also specifically address the effect of energy policy on low-income and minority Hoosiers. As reported in the Evansville Courier and Press, electric customers in southwestern Indiana have spoken, and Centerpoint Energy is listening. A number of existing electric generation units are approaching the end of their useful lives. 
the power generation industry is in a process of transition to new generation resources that will deliver a reliable energy mix. Following a series of four meetings and engagement with dozens of large customer and business leaders to analyze their energy needs, it is clear customers want to transition from a mostly coal-fired generation to a mix of reliable generation that includes cleaner options. Renewable power has become more cost-competitive and, when coupled with other resources such as natural gas, provides cleaner, reliable power. Meanwhile, some Indiana coal generation will remain part of the energy mix. Centerpoint says competing in today's economy requires Indiana to increase renewable energy access while ensuring reliability and sustainability of the grid. This transition is underway and will lead to more economic development in the state and provide quality of life enhancements along the way to the many communities they serve. Less carbon-based fuel will continue to enhance local air quality while enabling additional job growth. Last year, a polluting scrapyard moved from a predominantly white, wealthy neighborhood on Chicago's north side to a predominantly poor Latinx neighborhood on the city's southeast side. Now the EPA has initiated a federal civil rights investigation into the environmental justice implications of the move. The investigation resulted from the complaints by two grassroots environmental justice groups that allege Illinois environmental regulators colluded with city agencies and developers to relocate polluting industries from wealthy neighborhoods to heavily polluted neighborhoods in which predominantly people of color live. Further, the groups argue that the state discriminated against the communities in southeast Chicago when it approved new permits enabling the scrapyard to move into the community without required meetings and other types of public participation in the decision. Peggy Salazar, a longtime Southeast Side resident and director of one of the groups, the Southeast Environmental Task Force, said, quote, We refer to ourselves as a sacrifice zone, end quote. She went on to say that parts of Chicago are slated for revitalization, and the south and west sides exist to accommodate, not take part, in the revitalization. Residents' yards in the southeast side already contain pollution from heavy industries in the area. The contaminants include oil byproducts, lead, and arsenic. Since 2014, the Illinois EPA has carried out over 75 special inspections of industries in the community for failing to meet pollution standards. Chicago's latest Superfund site is also located in the neighborhood. To the great relief of indigenous people and environmentalists, on assuming the presidency, Joe Biden canceled plans for the Keystone XL pipeline. There is more good news, this time about the Dakota Access Pipeline. On January 26th, a U.S. Court of Appeals issued a ruling against the pipeline, affirming a federal court's decision that revoked a key pipeline permit and finding that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers violated critical environmental laws. The decision also affirmed that the pipeline project requires a full environmental impact statement to study the risks it poses to the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. Unfortunately, 
the ruling didn't require a shutdown of the oil flowing through the pipeline. But the revocation of the permit affirms that the pipeline is operating illegally. Another hearing is scheduled for February 10th. Standing Rock Sioux Tribe Chairman Mike Faith said in a statement on January 26th, quote, We are pleased that the D.C. Circuit affirmed the necessity for full environmental review. We look forward to showing the U.S. Army Corps why this pipeline is too dangerous to operate, end quote. Jan Hasselman, an attorney with the nonprofit environmental law firm Earth Justice, which has represented the Standing Rock Sioux since 2016, stated that the court's ruling is a milestone in the four-year legal battle to shut down the pipeline. Hasselman said, quote, This decision affirms what the tribe has been saying from the start. This pipeline is a threat to clean water and indigenous sovereignty, and we must examine the consequences it brings for the future. End quote. The Indiana Environmental Reporter says that President Joe Biden has signed executive orders drawing the entire federal government into the fight against climate change. The executive orders and directives task the government with taking on the climate crisis as a national security issue, with each level of government working to reduce climate change impacts while investing in measures that will encourage the establishment of a clean energy economy. Defense installations, federal buildings and vehicles, power plants and other initiatives in Indiana could be affected by the new orders. Quote, in my view, we've already waited too long to deal with this climate crisis. We can't wait any longer. We see it with our own eyes. We feel it. We know it in our bones. And it's time to act. End quote. Biden said during a press conference announcing the executive orders, quote, we know what to do. We've just got to do it. End quote. President Joe Biden on Monday called for transitioning the federal government's vehicle fleet to all-electric and American-made, spurring optimism within the electric vehicle sector for increased adoption of emissions-free cars. As part of an executive order announced on Wednesday, Biden directed federal agencies to procure carbon pollution-free electricity and clean zero-emissions vehicles to create good-paying union jobs and stimulate clean energy industries. There were about 645,000 vehicles in the federal fleet in 2019, according to the General Services Administration. Electrifying all of them would take a decade or more, according to experts, and that process will help bring stability to the burgeoning electric vehicle marketplace. A Dutch court of appeals has ruled that the Nigerian subsidiary of the Shell Energy Corporation must pay compensation to four Nigerian farmers seeking money for damage done and a cleanup of oil pollution from the company's leaking pipelines. The company claimed that the oil spills were the work of saboteurs, but the environmental organization Friends of the Earth, which supported the farmers in their legal fight, argued that the leaks were the result of inadequate maintenance and insufficient security, and that Shell doesn't do enough to clean up spills from its operations. Shell began exploiting Nigeria's huge Niger Delta oil reserves in the late 1950s. Activists and local communities have criticized the company for years for its spills and close ties to government security forces. 
The spills that were the subject of the farmer's lawsuit occurred between 2004 and 7, but the pollution from them remains a significant problem in the Niger Delta. Dolan Poles, head of Friends of the Earth's Dutch branch, commented about the ruling, quote, It means people in developing countries can take on the multinationals who do them harm, end quote. Scientists from around the world calling themselves Scientist Rebellion are calling for global action consisting of three days of nonviolent civil disobedience on March 26th through 28th against the climate and ecological crisis. They say their warnings have gone unheeded and so they are called to action. Scientists say that for decades they have issued warnings written papers, and spoken to the press, to no avail. They say, quote, emissions have continued to rise unabated and ecological destruction has accelerated, all driven by the insatiable lust for economic growth. We are racing toward climate tipping points that threaten to make our planet inhospitable to much of life, end quote. The scientists say that they play a special role in society as the group most capable of informing society of the risks it faces. Though it's difficult to make these warnings heard, it is their duty, they believe, to make sure they are heard. They are, therefore, urging scientists to join in with what they say is the most effective method of transforming society in our time, nonviolent civil disobedience. The scientists say the action is composed of three parts. One is printing large copies of scientific papers and attaching them to buildings where they're protesting in small, physically distanced groups. Two, those unable to risk arrest or leave their homes but are in good health should undertake a solidarity hunger strike. Three is educational disobedience, consisting of teaching about the crisis with materials provided by Scientist Rebellion. Scientist Rebellion is providing Zoom links to online briefings. They say, quote, Scientists are one of the key pillars of modern society. If we withdraw support and make clear we will not tolerate a system which manufactures genocide, we can amplify the message of the scientific community and inspire action across the globe. End quote. Earth's ice is melting 57% faster than in the 1990s, and the world has lost more than 28 trillion tons of ice since 1994, research published in the Cryosphere shows. The melt conforms to the worst-case scenario in the models used by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Quote, It was a surprise to see such a large increase in just 30 years, end quote, said Thomas Slater, a study co-author. There have been huge efforts to study ice loss research in individual regions of the world, allowing the researchers to combine data to assess ice loss worldwide. Their findings show that Arctic ice is disappearing the fastest, with 7.6 trillion tons melting between 1994 and 2017. The report also found land ice melt alone contributed to a global average sea level rise of 3.5 centimeters. However, land ice is only a small portion of the world's ice. Sea ice shelves, which float on water, are disappearing quickly. 
If they collapse, the land ice, glaciers, some sea ice shelves hold in place, would be released and could accelerate sea level rise for centuries. The groundbreaking United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons went into effect on January 22nd. On that day, nuclear weapons became illegal under international law. The treaty bans any country party to it from developing, testing, producing, acquiring, possessing, stockpiling, using, or threatening to use nuclear weapons. It effectively and permanently stigmatizes those weapons. It also prohibits the 51 countries party to it from allowing any stationing, installation, or deployment of any nuclear weapons or other nuclear explosive devices in its territory or at any place under its jurisdiction or control. The International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, the 2017 recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, worked to bring about the treaty. The campaign is a coalition of non-governmental organizations in a hundred countries promoting adherence to and implementation of the treaty. Many organizations around the world held celebrations to mark the banning of the bomb. The nine countries that possess nuclear weapons, including the U.S., are not parties to the treaty. And now for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sanz talk about the affordable clean energy rule dying in court. A federal appeals court has thrown out the Trump administration's fossil fuel-friendly air pollution plan opposed by environmental groups in Indiana and the administration's own U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit vacated and remanded the affordable clean energy rule a plan backed by former Indiana Attorney General Curtis Hill and 19 other Republican attorneys general, stating that the enactment of the rule and an embedded repeal of the Obama-era plan was based on a mistaken reading of the Clean Air Act that prolonged the public's exposure to harmful pollutants. The decision immediately repeals the ACE rule and amendments that gave states more time to comply with the rule. In the court's majority opinion, the court said that the ACE rule rests squarely on the erroneous legal premise that the Clean Air Act expressly foreclosed consideration of measures other than those that apply at and to an individual source. The court said the Trump EPA fundamentally misconceived the law and that its conclusion may not stand. The court vacated the ACE rule and sent it back to the EPA. The EPA estimated that the ACE rule could have led to 1,400 more premature deaths every year by 2030 and worsened the U.S. climate change situation by allowing electric generating units to continue to emit massive amounts of carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas that traps heat in the Earth's atmosphere. When the ACE rule was finalized in June 2019, EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, a former lobbyist for the coal industry, said the ACE rule would reduce carbon dioxide emissions by as much as 35% below 2005 levels by 2030, but that level would depend on states choosing to make and enforce those emissions reductions. In 2005, the electricity generation sector emitted a near-historic 2,400 million metric tons of carbon dioxide. A 35% reduction like Wheeler claimed would bring carbon dioxide emissions to 1,560 million metric tons of carbon dioxide per year, or slightly less in the Clean Power Plan the ACE rule sought to repeal and replace. The Clean Power Plan sought a federally imposed 32% drop in carbon pollution, 90% drop in sulfur dioxide, and 72% drop in nitrogen oxide from 2005 levels. Indiana and many other states sued to stop the implementation of the CPP, 
The Supreme Court issued a stay in February 2016, and the CPP was stuck in the courts until the Trump administration seemingly killed it with an official repeal that was made part of the ACE rule. The lawsuit that led to the decision was filed July 2019 when the American Lung Association and the American Public Health Association sued to stop both the Clean Power Plan repeal and the ACE rules implementation. The groups argued that the EPA abdicated its legal duties and obligations to protect public health under the Clean Air Act. The decision could help protect Hoosier health and the environment, as well as the state's booming clean energy industry. The Hoosier Environmental Council's executive director, Jesse Carbanda, said the rule was potentially ineffective, and the court's decision was a win for decarbonizing the power sector and for Indiana's 55,000-plus energy efficiency job sector. Environmental groups say the ruling will allow the incoming Biden administration to achieve its climate goals without having to deal with a major Trump obstacle in the way of progress. And now for our events calendar. Enjoy a hidden cave hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, February 6th from 1 to 2 p.m. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center to hike off trail to the hidden cave called Author's Pocket. Register at sbelt at dnr.in.gov or call 812-849-3534. This is a rugged hike, so plan accordingly. Take an off-trail history hike at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, February 6th from 10 to 11 a.m. If you have ever wondered about the land that is now called McCormick's Creek State Park, then you should plan to meet at the Nature Center for a rugged hike to a historic site that's not on the map. McCormick's Creek State Park is offering a baffling bark program on Sunday, February 7th from 1 to 2.45 p.m. Are you baffled by trees in the winter? Meet Erica at the Canyon Inn to learn how to identify trees without leaves. Spring Mill State Park is offering a nature Valentine's hike on Sunday, February 14th from 1 to 2 p.m. Join the naturalist on Trail 5 to look for natural objects in the shape of a heart. Bring your camera to take pictures. This is a one-mile, partially rugged hike. Monroe Lake is celebrating Valentine's Day with a Very Birdie Valentine's program on Sunday, February 14th. The event will take place in the Activity Center at the Paintown State Recreation Area. Join the naturalists to make two different types of heart-shaped treats for wild birds, craft a bird-themed Valentine's Day card, and learn about common backyard birds. This is an indoor program, so masks must be worn by everyone. Sessions are between 45 to 60 minutes and take place at 9.30 a.m., 10.40 a.m., 12.30 p.m., 1.45 p.m., 3 p.m., and 4.15 p.m. Registration is required at bit.ly slash birdvalentine2021. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. 
This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to The Eco Report, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana, bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.